Hello, and welcome to episode 93 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. I'm also the host of the MedTech Leaders community, and you can learn more about that at medtechleaders.net. Thanks for spending time with us today for a very interesting conversation. Multiple factors have impacted the relationships between medtech companies and their customers over the past two years. The pandemic started a cascade of events influencing elective surgeries, budgets, healthcare professional shortages, healthcare professional costs, supply chains, and so on. In one area these factors have come together to create change is in the management of corporate accounts. And to help us understand these changes and what we can do about them is Frank Rapolo II, Managing Partner at Accelerant Consulting. Frank and his team are well known across the medtech industry as the go-to firm to help companies of all sizes tackle the strategic issues related to corporate accounts. Here is a snippet of our conversation related to thinking outside the box and sharing risk to gain leverage with an account. We have a client where we built the first ever uh, infection control, well, it was based on Caudian Clapsy for uh, infection rates. And we believe that if you followed our protocol all the way through, we would get a reduction. If, if something happened adverse to the patient or they got an infection, then we would eat you know, the length of stay and et cetera, et cetera. We built wow. that program. Wow. It was amazing. It's the first one ever built on infection control. You that that's what that's what the end users want to see. That's what the providers want to see. If you're if you're if it's that good, well, have enough confidence to come kind of share on some of the risk with us, right? By the way, I do not take compensation for interviews like this. I have known Frank now for a couple years and participated in numerous webinars with him. And it was through that exposure that I came to know how knowledgeable he and his team are in this area. Frank's LinkedIn link and website link are in the show notes. And check out the blog at their website. It is excellent. And if you like this podcast and think it would benefit a colleague, simply share it via the share link on your podcast player of choice. Also, ranking the podcast is always appreciated. Now let's meet up with Frank to learn what has changed. Frank, welcome to the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. It's great to have you on, and I know we're going to learn a lot about corporate accounts today. Hey, good Friday to you, Ted. Thank you for thinking about me and having me on. Um, I get excited about these opportunities because there's a lot to share. There's a lot of things I see that I think suppliers really need to know. So I'm um, looking forward to your questions and having our discussion. Yeah, it's an important subject. And I think a lot's changed. And that, that's what we're going to be talking about. So first of all, just introduce yourself and what your role is at Accelerant. So Frank Rapulo, the second. And my role is a managing partner and founder of Accelerant Consulting. Okay. And at Accelerant, I know you do a lot of things. What is your what is your principal focus there at Accelerant? Uh, where do you want to begin? Um, <laughs> besides being sitting as a CEO for a 
a medical device company outside of um, Accelerant. I'm the managing partner. I work with our consultants. I'm making sure we get marketing and PR out there. So my business partner is Nancy Kalis. So we equally own the company in California. She is in uh, Arizona. And uh, besides uh, Accelerant and being the CEO of a particular company, I manage clients. Um, okay. And that's that's where my real, that's where the real lift is and where my true passion is representing the small to mid-cap companies and getting um, getting them scaled and getting those conversions going and accelerating their growth. Which is great because that's what this podcast is all about. It's really aimed. I mean, I, I got a lot of big company listeners, but we're really aimed at um, small, medium-sized companies. And a lot of people don't realize that the definition of medium can go all the way to $100, 150000000 million. So you just never know where you're at. But um, when you say that you're the CEO of a company, what company are you the CEO of? Rapid Health. Okay. Yeah, it does a wound capture. It's an app for wound capture, and it's got it's got two platforms: one for wound capture and one for mother's milk. And the mother's milk is for breast donor milk tracking, okay. along with NICU feeds. Very oh. needed product, um, based here in Irvine, California. Oh, I didn't even know that you were the CEO of that company. Oh, great, super. Maybe a future podcast. Um, so let's let's start with a story. Uh, just tell us a story about how your expertise uh, has helped a med tech company. It's the, it's the typical, I call it the typical scenario we see out there. And I wrote a blog on it called the 1980s playbook. So company thinks they got a good idea, may have a great idea, um, could be breakthrough technology, could solve any problem. They bring in investors to go friends and family, maybe go for an A round, a bridge round, raise some capital, come up with their prototype, and then they will look to commercialize. And then what they what do they do? They're either going to go through a distribution group, a 1099 group, or direct reps. And then once they put out their sales organization, um, they're knocking on the doors of hospitals. And what happens really, really quickly early on, and, and this really, Ted, depends on the space too. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of what I'm going to share today will probably fall more into the med surge space, but I can talk about PPI, purchase services, biologics. It doesn't matter. I've represented companies in all those spaces. But when companies go to commercialize, it could be a 10-year process of trying to make sure your shareholders and your investors are happy as you're chasing top-line revenue. Because as you know, is when you raise capital, it's all about time is money, right? Mm-hmm. How right. quickly can you go out there? And companies really struggle, um, I would say, that three, four-year mark when they really think sales are going to fall their way, and they're not. Because what's happening is you got your shareholders saying, hey, you told me if you got this, we'd be here. And what they neglect is that IDN, GPO, national, national account strategy that really needs to be in play. And so we've seen a major shift, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But front and center right now is making sure your valuation by having those opportunities, because what's really happening in healthcare today, it's about access. And so to answer your question, companies that we really help, um, 
It was a 10 year company. They had a me too product and um, fairly decent margins. And they couldn't get a seat at the table with the GPOs and IDMs. They would go to all the different shows, whether it was premier Vizient, and they'd find ways to get into these shows or try to um, work the, the non-GPO shows, such as the IDN Summit and groups like that. And they would aggressively approach people they didn't have a relationship with. And when they did that, they got a lot of pushback because it's a trust factor. It's kind of like, where are your products used in healthcare today? Who are you? And why should I consider you? And if you don't have your value proposition dialed in, where it's really resonating with value analysis committees and people you're approaching, you're going to get pushback. And so with this particular company, I came in and it was real simple. There were two owners. I knew all the issues they were having. I was very familiar with the space. And I said, this is what we're going to do today. This is what we're going to do tomorrow. And you need to follow every step I, 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 I ask of you. And they said, absolutely. We're at your mercy. Tell us what to do. And so we landed our first GPO a year after I was representing them. We started to really focus on training with the ISRs that were in place, the 1099s. But we put a real strong IDN strategy that was overlapping with efforts. Because as you know, GPOs can take some time. Yes. Um, and there's ways to sometimes accelerate that. But what we bridged early on in our engagement was my relationships that I had cultivated. And so I could walk right into these groups that they were trying to get in front of and shorten that whole sales cycle. And when we did that, I saw a company go from under a million to 50 million in about five years. Well, that's an awesome story. Wow. Yeah. That's what I call results. <laughs> that's great. Um, okay. Well, that's a great way to start. Under a million to 50 million in uh, five years. Um, I think a lot of people would take that. No, they so ended up on every GPO. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So let, let's go back a little bit about yourself and just so people have an understanding of where does somebody like Frank come from? And let's talk about your career because it looked like you have a couple psychology degrees and <laughs> not much in between psychology and sales. So what, what uh, motivated you to take the psychology direction in school? <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, I haven't thought about that in a while, um, Ted. Let's see here. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and I recall a lot of the kids or students or whatever at that time, being a young man, wanting to go into business. And I had no interest. I never thought of sales. I never considered any business opportunities. To me, it was all about psychology. And I think it was because it was challenging. It was different. I kind of felt like more in that pioneer phase mm -hmm. back then, because, you know, this is, this is back in the early nineties. And I thought, if anything, I'll at least have a good foundation to understand either people or life or know, know a little bit more about myself, right? So there's some selfish reasons and there were some reasons outside of that. And um, I touched every aspect of psychology. I used to work at a methadone clinic. Um, I worked the streets of Chicago with duly diagnosed patients. Wow. 
Um, I worked in New York. I ran a, a psychiatric institution that was a for-profit to teach people about their symptoms. And then I started, um, after my master's degree, I worked towards a PhD and I was um, pulling autopsy reports on Kevorkian patients. I don't know if you remember Dr. Kevorkian. Sure. He was uh, really big in uh, euthanasia. And so we did some publications around stigma and dualism on recovering drug addicts. Um, it was a little bit of everything, but it became process of elimination for me. I touched everything, but I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing. And here I'm working on my, towards my PhD, which I'd never, I never completed my PhD. I was two years shy of it, but I did get my master's in clinical psychology. And I was working in a high-end martini cigar bar in Royal Oak, Michigan. <laughs> and I really enjoyed that. I liked my psychology background and I started thinking about sales. Like, what would I do? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go into software sales. I'm not going to go into the automobile industry. Um, I mean, we grew up as a Ford family, so it would have been real easy for me. My, my grandfather was the vice president of Ford. He worked, he worked with Lee Iacocca back in the day. Wow. So I was intrigued by medical and I got my break into medical selling obstetrics, vascular monitors, uh, Dopplers, um, DVT products, and um, pressure ulcer reduction surfaces. Um, and that's my break in the, the world of the medical device industry. And when I, I came in as a, uh, assistant sales rep and we took that territory from 1.5 million to 6 million, uh, I was working with an amazing gentleman who passed away earlier this year. Uh, his name was Derek Palm and, um, Derek taught me a lot about sales and what to do. And after we grew the, we had the revenue growth in Michigan, the CEO said, where else can you do that? And that's what brought me out to California. And I've been out here 24 years now. Wow. Then I, yeah. And then so my me, so yeah. where was the conversion from field sales to um, corporate sales, corporate accounts? <laughs> so I come to California and this is, I don't know, out of 30 territories, this is like doing number 20. It wasn't doing very well. At after a year and a half of working the territory, I became the number one sales rep in the company. And then they said, "Okay, Frank, we want you in management." I said, "Absolutely not. I built my territory. Okay, I want to enjoy what I've done here, and I don't want to be in middle management." And they said, "Well, how about this? We'll fast track you, and just." go into middle management, get some experience there, and then we'll look at opportunities. Well, sure enough, I went into middle management for a year, and then I got promoted after that into, uh, as a VP of sales. And we had four, four VP of sales, and eventually they narrowed down to two, um, and I was one of those. And what happened was I was dabbling in national accounts. The, the company at the time had invested into a similar model that I run now, and I learned a lot from that organization. And so I was a kid when I was going into these GPOs because everyone kind of retired there. They kind of ran the gamut and they said, Hey, I've been VP of sales. Now I'm going to retire. Um, and I'm walking in as a 30 year old rubbing elbows with all these big names at the time. 
And I really cultivated some amazing relationships early on in my career. Um, so that was the transition. So at the company that where, where, where I was the VP of sales, I was also a director of national accounts. So, okay. And that's how, and that's how you got started. Yeah. And then when did you decide, you know, after being, you know, the career that you had working as an employee for, you know, a med device company, when did you decide it's time for me to create my own firm, my own consulting firm? So the company topped off at around a hundred million. When I had started with them, we were about 20 something million. Okay. And they got acquired. Okay. And then I was asked by the CEO to go into a struggling division to see if we can turn that around. And I just thought, no, I'm not going to do it under the leadership. So I resigned, um, went to Italy with my family and my newborn daughter, Rosalia. And I came back and I said, you know what? I'm forming a company called Essential Healthcare Management. And this is in 2007. And it's going to be designed to help small to mid-cap companies get in front of GPOs and IDNs. Because I had, I had realized what we had done at the company, we scaled. Mm-hmm. And I thought, there's so many other companies that need this. So let's extend that out to them and really, really, you know, um, be that conduit to success. And so um, I get a call from my former company that I resigned from, and they said, hey, Frank, will you come back? Um, I said, no, but I said, why don't you outsource what you want me to do through my company? I've already formed a central healthcare management. And they said, yeah, we'll, we'll consider that. So I put together a proposal. And I knew all the pain points. I knew it would probably consume all my time. So it was a pretty, pretty hefty um, scope of work and deliverable and proposal I gave them, which they couldn't afford, which was fine with me because it was going to be my way. Uh, otherwise, I wasn't going to do it because if it's going to be their way, then we're not going to get off the ground because I, right. I knew how to turn it around. So they turned down my proposal and I said, good. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't upset by that. Always be careful what you ask for. And, um, and then I started picking up companies. I picked up an endoscopy company. I picked up a heel boot company. I picked up a, a DVT company. Uh, and that was all in uh, 2007. Yeah. Super. Yeah. And then the, the rest is history, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, I can honestly tell you, I've probably represented, spoke to uh, like 300 plus companies in every space. So okay. here I come in, I, I knew what I knew. And, and what I learned was I don't need to be an expert in every supplier's product, but I know where to take them and how to execute and shorten that sales cycle by working right. in aggregation groups. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, just so people understand, uh, <laughs> and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when we talk about corporate accounts, we're talking about uh, both uh, hospital systems and, and government systems, correct? Not so much government. I did okay. government. I used to get ECAT and FSS and DAP. I know it very well. Uh, but that's a that's a whole. I mean, just just the Visions are the largest IDN in the in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a whole nother area. Right. Matter of okay. fact, under our our company today, Accelerant, we have government experts, and that's all okay. they do. Okay. Yeah. So you, so the company, so you do have government experts that can help there. 
Um, okay. And then in um, the, the, when you're talking about hospital systems, like, and when we talk about corporate accounts, there's both for-profit and there's not-for-profit, correct? Correct. All right. And just tell the listeners really quickly, what's the difference between a GPO and an IDN? <laughs> it's a loaded question. I'll keep it simple because okay. most people think there's only the top four GPOs, Health mm-hmm. Trust, the Resource Group, Premier, Vizient. There's roughly around 600 and something GPOs in wow. healthcare. <clears throat> so every GPO comes from an IDN. The question is, did it come from a shared service model, an equity model, an affiliate model? There's all these different ways you can become a GPO. So when you look at some of the history, I mean, you look at Broadlane, that was Kaiser Tenant and Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth that formed their own GPO called Broadlane, which morphed into Med Assets, which felt now falls into Vizian. So if you so GPO in simple way is your contracting arm, just like HCA formed Health Trust, just like the members within Premier own them. But at the IDN level, integrated delivery network, those IDNs choose what GPO they want to be part of. So for the average IDN, they access three plus GPOs. So they'll have maybe their primary GPO, say it's a premier. They'll have a secondary where they can pull from an Amerinet or Intelair, which is now owned by Health Trust. They can pull from Magnet. They can then partner under a Bon Secure GPO, which runs their own purchasing group just like KP Select runs their own under Kaiser. I mean, the list goes on. So you have IDNs that might that stay with their primary, but in certain categories, they might source on their own. So okay. does that make, is that, is that, I'm sure that's resonating with some people and for others, it might be going over their head because it's a lot to digest. Because what really needs to be said is what, what vertical is being accessed by the IDN? So, for example, I'm in California. If I went down the C Sharp, which is a major health system in San Diego, Premier used to be their primary GPO. Um, and I'm going back, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is I remember asking Sharp, I said, what if Premier, how much of the GPO are you compliant with? Like, what do you pull in terms of contracts? And they said, Frank, our biggest poll is really medical surgical, probably about, 60% of our poll comes from that space between distribution and med, med surge. And I'm like, well, what about PPI? What about capital? What about purchase services? He's like, we do all that on our own. But now we sit here today, that's really shifted because now the GPOs, they're more involved than ever, especially post pandemic. They do you know, a lot of contracting within PPI and purchase services. They have those platforms. You have okay. groups like Conductive now that came out of Premier. So the industry's really changed. And so it's made it very hard in today's world, and I don't care what space it is, to go directly to a hospital and try to get a champion that's going to make that conversion. You're blocked. Today is all about access. So if I want to go after Dr. Smith because I have a software program or something in 
you know, by a logic, I'm going to have to work through maybe that distribution group. But if I get flagged in their system when they're invoice, then that may never even be paid, paid for. Whereas before you can insert products, you can get stuff in there. And then you got to get through their vendor credentialing tools to begin with. So it's right. got really, really hard. Okay. Now you look at the last few years, you know, with the pandemic and all the changes that occurred and all, all the effects that it's had. So we have hospital personnel shortages. We have the financial pressures that have been caused by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is personnel costs and so on. Then there's all the supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how much has corporate contracting changed in the last three years? So I don't want to get hanged, hung, <laughs> hung by the statement, but healthcare has always been somewhat anti-supplier. Okay. And there are certain, I won't, I won't name names, but there's certain groups and IDNs and GPOs that just want, they want you out of their system, right? There was a gentleman that came out of Novation who went to ROI and he was forming a similar model to what Kaiser was doing at one point where they really wanted the sales rep out of their health system and they had, they wanted control. And I don't blame them. I'm not blaming anybody for this model that has accelerated now. So my point is what's really changed access. It's harder than ever. Um, Knowing that you have a really, really strong value proposition that resonates. And then you have to convince if assuming you get in front of the right people, because we've lost a lot of our champions in healthcare and our leaders. So the decision-making today is very multifaceted. It's not what it used to be. A champion could carry you pre pre pandemic post. No, it's multifaceted COO, CFO, um, nurse, um, nurse managers, physician, everybody's involved. And it's a combination of outcome data along with financials, ROI, do we really need this? And then assuming the stars are aligned and you're considered, you got to fit into their workflow. So I I would look at it like this to kind of give you a visual. If you're in supply chain and you got 500 suppliers coming at you and they all have something to offer, you have to get, you got to narrow that down to about a hundred suppliers. And if you can do that, they got to get it down maybe to 60 suppliers. And that 60 supplier workflow is what they're going to probably make a priority in terms of conversions this year. When I used to go to St. Joe's here, uh, down the street, over in uh, Jamboree and Irvine, I would see the workflow charts or whiteboards in their office. And that was their number one priority. And if you're going to, insert yourself as a supplier in that list, it better be really, really strong. Yeah. And that, and that's, what's really changed. And so that's why a lot of the suppliers are really scratching their head. Like, why is nobody listening? Cause you're not a priority. And even if you're a priority, you got to get in front of the right people and you got to make sure you check every box in your value proposition. That's why like under Accelerant, the first thing we do with every supplier that walks in our front door is they got to get past people on our team on their value proposition because we pull okay. calls in it real quick. 
so you talk about this resistance on the part of GPOs. Is is it because they're under all these different pressures, or is it also uh, and and that's a way for them to help control costs? Is that this multitude that they've been hit with, and they're just so busy trying to solve these problems? Is that part of the access problem? Um, the GPOs are struggling. You know, a lot of the GPOs do the right thing. Um, I can tell you great stories of the things they remember. It's their members that um, are struggling with resources, the ability to convert, to prioritize, um, to really command someone's attention. So everyone's everyone's had to shift, right? That that's kind of known. Um, but then you you factor in, you know, labor. And by the way, when you look at a hospital, and this is where suppliers need to kind of sit back and understand how they work. You know, what's the number one cost to, to help for a hospital? It's labor. Number two would be food. Number three would probably be purchase services. So as we get down to products, they're a little bit lower on the list. So but labor, these, food, and then purchases. Yeah, and it could shift, you know, depending on the health system, but that seems to be the template. Okay. Um, so if labor is going up, so you got a shortage of labor, but the, the, the cost to bring in per diem nurses has gone up. You can only imagine, right? Right. And if you don't have people for elective surgeries because they had to forego those without using names, there's a major IDN in California that was 48 months behind on elective surgeries. Holy I mean, cow. that's a huge loss of revenue. That's staggering. Yeah. So if I'm coming in as Mr. Supplier with my breakthrough technology saying, hey, I got a solution in a particular space. I'm probably not going to get looked at. It's going to be very hard. And so that becomes a struggle maybe for new technologies, distribution or med surge. And then we see a shift with hospitals doing self-contracting and self-distribution. And then they're trying to pick up the pieces and how they're not going to get caught off guard again. At the end of the day, there's only so many hours, right? And so when you're dealing with these leaders at these at these IDNs, uh, and I've spoken to many CEOs, and they and they all seem to resonate with the the same common theme, right? Prioritize, got to shift, got to take on things I didn't historically have to take on, and you know we got to we got to try to do this in a reasonable amount of time so that we can get more on the forefront versus always being reactive, and and depending on the health system too. Because when you get when I say that I'm, I'm talking about level one, level two, level three magnets of excellence. You know, you got a trauma center or not? That really dictates the culture and what's a priority as well. Okay, and when you were talking before about pre-pandemic, uh, a champion might carry you. Uh, when you say champion, you're talking about a champion within the hospital system, like it could be a key doctor or a key nurse or somebody that really is um, excited about being able to use your product or implement it? Or are you talking about a, a different kind of champion? No, you hit it right in the head. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so when we go back to your your discussion about the, the value analysis committee and the fact that so many other people are involved now, uh, that's really at the forefront of decision-making even more so today than it was even three or four years ago. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. 
you know, you've got a couple of different kinds of clients. You got people that are long-term med tech clients. You've got, and then you've got these newer people, you know, startups, uh, emerging growth companies that come to you looking for help. When you think about your long-term clients and, you know, they're facing some of these same types of, uh, you know, problems that have come up, especially, or been, been amplified by the pandemic. Um, what kind of advice are you giving to your long-term clients, people that have already been working in the GPOs, if they've got some of this access, maybe you don't think it's perfect or they, and they have some work to do, but what kind of advice do you give to your long-term clients that are already have some type of access set up? Yeah. And I just wanted to clarify in, in the beginning of this, um, I had mentioned that we represent small to mid-size. Yeah. Um, we represent some of the largest suppliers in healthcare as well. Okay. Um, our model wasn't really designed to do that. It kind of morphed into that. So we we have a, we have a, a vision into all those different layers, right? So to answer your question, because that's where my mind shifts, more mid to large cap suppliers, they may have their own national accounts people in play. So our advice is really about utilization and compliance and, and, and doing the business reviews, Strengthen your relationship um, with your GPOs, IDNs, and and not just that that contract expiration and then try to go through the IRP process again. You have to be very proactive. You got to start taking some cost out, um, maybe midway in a contract. So if you came in on a three-year, you know, deal, you see you're about a year and a half into it. And the costs have gone up and you had made some promises that you were going to achieve revenue goals. You might want to come in here and say, hey, let's, let's talk a little bit more about a co-sharing program. Um, let's talk about um, something around um, being a little bit tied, tied together, whether it's not so much bundling or JVs. I would say um, um, outcome base um, where they can be measured. And 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 then bringing some of that cost down, um, being a real, real true partner versus a supplier. Because if you're going to be, just be a supplier and you just want to get POs all day, you you might get burned by competition in today's world. That's that's where it's changed for for the large cap company. And when you say getting the cost down, you're you're talking about getting the cost down for the customer. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's being proactive on that, not waiting for the contract cycle, then coming in and saying, I can do this. And I know it's hard to explain to shareholders and the CEO. And I'm not necessarily saying you have to write down your costs or adjust your ASP. What I'm getting at is having real heart to heart conversations with your customers and making sure you got full utilization and compliance. So that helps you out. Right. Because I can't tell you how many times you think you have all the business and you don't. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of suppliers say, oh, we got full conversion. We're we're entrenched everywhere. It's like, no, they're still using this over there and that over there. And you have no idea. And so if you can do that, you can pick up some new business and do the right thing for the health system by making sure they're getting the best price and the best thing you can offer leading to better outcomes. So uh, I just want to make sure the listeners understand this. Is that if you're if you start working more as a partner with the client, which goes all the way to the hospital system, you know, through the GPO or whatever, and mm-hmm. you can help them control their costs by improving their outcomes, um, 
you might be able to gain share because you may think you're the the primary vendor, but you're not because they're buying from several different people. Did I get that right? Yeah, you you, you did. You got that okay. right. And that and, and and then you can't overlook the fact that that one hospital you're doing it for falls into that multi hospital group, right? There's right. your IDN. So um, I think there's a lot to be said by achieving growth within your existing business. Okay. It's not always about new business. I've seen a lot of companies, that's how they grew, depending on your product portfolio and what you have to offer. But those those are those are things we've done with our clients that really, really have helped them. Because, you okay. know, these clients are on GPL, so they need to perform, right? So if you're not performing in GPL, it's not always about getting another GPL. It's about perform, performing with what you got front and center. Exactly. Okay. And then... Um... What kind of advice do you give? Let's go to the other side, the mm-hmm. startups and emerging growth companies, people that either don't have access or they they don't have a record of great access. You know, they're, they're just starting these relationships mm-hmm. um, with your help. What kind of advice do you give them? Yeah, it all, it all depends where they're at, right? Um, I'll, 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 for the sake of our discussion, I'll assume they got a device ready to go. Yep. They've raised some money. They've they've got a couple touch points, um, whether it's a direct sales rep or distribution group or ISR, and um, you know they got some revenue coming in, right? Um, the first thing I do is I I say yes, let's take a look at your product and really test this out. With um, do we got to play in the extended care market? Is it is it only the acute care market? If it's in the extended care market or non-acute. Where's our focus? How well is our value proposition? Do we have good working capital for scalability? Because it's great. You want to go get a tenant or a Henry Ford or a Baptist, but can you really handle such an IDN? If we get you in a GPL, what would that look like? But what I really emphasize um, is, is really investing in national accounts. And I know that sounds biased, but if you want to create some valuation with your company, it's going to say a lot to the market and your your competition. So let me give you an example of what that means. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, a company went to sell in an M&A situation. And the company acquiring a smaller company offered Rome $40 million. Um, The CEO walked away. He brought in our firm and said, how do I create some valuation to show my competition that we're stronger than what they think they are? Because this this larger company was buying product from the small company and they had a footprint within the health system, but it wasn't really strong. So what we did was we went out there and we bolted on a couple of GPLs in about two and a half years. And we started to drive sales and we showed that larger company that we were going down our own path. And that turned into another invite to sit down almost three years later, and they bought the company for something like 150 million. So GPOs say a lot, you know, if you get through a GPL, right, that says a lot for your value proposition. Because you you have to be, you have to be sized up. And in today's world, because it's all based on trust, it makes it a lot easier being within the family versus outside the family. So I, for the small companies, you really want to put your, your time and effort or bring in resources or people that can help you do that. Historically, that was overlooked. It was always about 
driving sales, keeping shareholders happy, and going after top line revenue, right? And then you do that until you're what? 10, 40, you know, 10, 20, 40 million dollar company. Then they start, you know, looking at the bottom line, they start shifting and they bring in the CRM and they want control. And the national accounts may be in-house or outsource at that point, but it's always been kind of overlooked because it's it, it, what CEOs have always struggled with on the supplier side is how do I fit them in? How do I fit them into my sales process? I know what a sales manager does. I know what a sales rep does. I know what a VP of sales you know, can bring, but how do I hold accountable and measure a national accounts person? And they've always struggled with that um, because they don't see us as a part of sales. They look at us as a license to hunt or, or getting access. That's how it was viewed in the past. Today, they're like, okay, I can put a value to access because I know what that means now because if I have access, I'm completely blocked. And what that translates to is there are there are IDNs and GPLs that can literally block you. They can put you on the vendor credentialing, you know, rep tracks and say, anybody from this company walks into one of our hospitals or ministries, you don't get any access. End of story. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's why our model's resonating more than ever because the CEOs have kind of, you know, figured out where we live within their ecosystem. Okay. And one one of the things I've heard you say a couple of times is when you've when you've told a couple of these stories about working with companies, you've talked about, you know, a, a year later we were able to do this or uh, two years later. So mm-hmm. there is a a runway that you have to go down to work your way into the um, through the IDNs and into the GPOs and stuff like that, correct? Yeah, so you're always up against incumbent agreements, right? For the most part. Right. And those run anywhere on a three to five year contract cycle. So no one's ever going to show up and just do an RFI, RFP and be selected. It's very, very uncommon. So you either need someone who's going to bridge that trust factor and that relationship. So that's what our model is really about is I've monetized my relationships. Correct. I can go to a company and say, well, for you to go meet somebody and take them out and go golfing or go out to dinner or whatever, that's going to take some time. I can walk you right in today. And now we can start building up like, you know, the story. Who are you? Where do you come from? What do you have to offer? Why you? Why would I jeopardize my coming agreements? All that. But there's still a process. So the fact that we can shorten that sales cycle to six months to two years, depending on the space, is significant. I can tell you in post-pandemic, I am moving things faster than ever. Hmm. And the reason why we're able to do that under Acceleron, I think, is, is a combination of things. One, we're making sure the value propositions really, really are, are strong and resonate. So I look at it like this. If I put a value proposition in front of somebody, their, their whole MO is really to find a way to say no to you. And if they can't find a way to say no to you, that doesn't mean they say yes, but it does stay in their desk. And maybe you fall into the priority list or maybe you fall into you know the 90 day out to-do list, but you're still on their desk. 
They haven't thrown you to the side. And that's what we're able to do. And then because the markets opened up with all these different GPOs and opportunities and self-contracting, as we're going after maybe a large GPO, I can go after other groups. Okay. And get bolted up because we're solving real problems and real needs. And and here's a statement I I don't know if I should say it or not. I don't mean to offend anybody, but if I had the cure for cancer today, it might be two years for some of these groups to look at me because that's how much is going on. And it's really hard to stand out. So we can get companies to stand out much faster. So the, the, our, you know, but our challenge, like everyone's challenge is how do we make it a priority? And if some, in some spaces, you're just not going to be a priority, but then we move on because you'll be a priority somewhere else. So that's what we've built here is our model is, you know, I don't know everyone. I know quite a few GPOs. I mean, um, IDNs and I know all the GPOs and I have relationships in all of them, but where I fall short, I got my team. And right. people on my team have strong relationships in areas that I don't. And that's why we have our ecosystem the way it's set up. And that's what we do for these suppliers. You know, if 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 a early stage supplier has one national accounts person, that's a hard, hard world to live in today because that national accounts person goes to these groups and it's one person. And if you're told no, you're told no. If we're told no. Well, I got other people in there on other product categories, and we're we're gathering market intelligence, right? We're finding out some of the pain points. And because we we have a lot of these health systems really scrambling because they're trying to deal with urgent needs, um, they're not always communicating either. I'll give you a recent example. Um, major IDN, I had sent them an email, picked up the phone, called them. And they told me everything was all right in this particular space. Then they get an email from that IDN saying, hey, Frank, do you got something that can help us here? And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I had known that needed something, but I got pushback. But then I got someone reaching out to me from that IDN saying, do you got something here? So I said, yes, this is what we have for you. And then I went back to my source and they said, no, we, we got your information. We're good right now. Okay. And then they come back a week later and they say, what units of measure can we buy and how soon can we have stuff? And I'm like, what is going on here? Is one hand not talking to the other? So I finally put everyone together and we said, let's do this. Let's do that. We present it. We got on a major IDN in less than four months. And it's one of the hottest IDNs to get on. That's unheard of. Um, That would have been unheard of pre-pandemic. Now, obviously, we're we're solving a critical, critical area for them. And I'm not talking PPE stuff or anything like that. But it's it's based on some international initiatives that need to be put in place. And so that's that those are things I'm seeing that I didn't see before. But because we have all our people working with the GPOs and IDNs, we're we're just hearing all the pain points and challenges and new opportunities. So it's a little bit of everything. So a new co- a new company a startup when should they um, when when should somebody start talking to an uh, expert like yourself about GPO so they have a product 
and they, it's a med surge or a hospital product. So they know they're going to need some kind of access. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say they know that 80% of their sales are probably going to be in the hospital space as opposed to clinician offices or um, long-term care or whatever. So when is the time, when should they start thinking about the plan um, and start talking to people like yourself? First day. I'll give you an example. I was up in Newport and I met came up with a new device and he wanted to try to go to market and license it and get a royalty fee. It's now shifted after four conversations with us that he's going to build his own product. Um, now, he's not ready for someone on our team to lead him down the GPO and IDN. What, he's, what he needs from us right now is that value proposition expert to come in and refine that, tailor it, start to think about how you're going to start sourcing, where do you want to source and what's that look like? And then are there going to be reimbursement codes bolted to it? Is it going to fall into a DRG? Do I need a CPT code? Do I start with a Q code? All that kind of stuff. So you got to bring in those early services to start to build. And when you do have a product that you kind of want to show and tell, we're ready to go because now you got all these, you know, breakthrough technology platforms. They might be a, a diversity company. They might be a hub company. They might be an SBA company. There's opportunities there. There's opportunities in, you know, states now have community programs and these are coming out of the GPOs. Some of them have tighter, tighter um, compliance programs where you might resonate for standardization. So it's one thing to be on a GPL. It's another thing to be within their standardization programs that can drive further compliance. So there's, there's a lot of different avenues to look at, but you know, the biggest thing I always tell startups is stay in your backyard, just stay in your backyard. You got a lot of amazing health systems right there. They got, they typically have innovation labs or institutes or some type of development. Some of them have their own fundings. You know, a lot of them do their own self-contracting, go work with your local university. Um, You got a lot, lot of, lot of IP right in your backyard that you can pull, pull stuff from. Okay. And then I think another message I'm hearing in between the lines is that um, an early position that should be filled for an emerging growth company or a startup would be a corporate accounts person. Because it sounds to me like there's a lot of, and even if they need help, they need help from somebody like you. They, there's still a lot for them to manage. Um, And it's just not something that somebody else part-time can do part-time like a CMO or a CEO or whatever. No. So in the past, companies would take their mid-manager or VP and task them with IDNs and GPLs. And then it morphed into an actual position with the budget. Now what's happening is if I'm launching a company, I want a national accounts person getting my products, my pricing and my SKUs bolted into that health system. Because otherwise I'm wanting, I'm putting, you know, $150,000 sales rep out there is going to knock on the door of one hospital. That one hospital is part of 40 hospital system and they're going to be blocked or, or if they're lucky and they can get interest from the local hospital where pricing's not loaded, they haven't been vetted. And so now I got my champion, but now I'm going to be blocked by, you know, the C-suite. Right. 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 
And so if I can, if you can bridge that where you got a sales effort and a national accounts and we're loading pricing and we're able to get in and start to make the introductions and build trust and show that we can really help partner with that IDN, you just shorten that whole sales cycle. Because otherwise mm-hmm. you're going to run with your sales team. You got 10 reps out there. They're all coming back with the same message. And then now you're trying to put a national accounts person in, right? Right, right. Now I, we're hitting a, lo- a lot of this sort of, as we're going through this conversation, but one of my questions was, uh, you know, some of the basic blocking and tackling that a lot of companies miss. And, and what we've been talking about a lot is not having somebody really responsible for this area of work and mm-hmm. giving it the focus that it needs. What else, what else in blocking and tackling? I mean, you got to get out of the me too way of thinking, you know, I always hate it when people say, oh, I got a better mousetrap. Nobody wants another mousetrap. Nobody wants another product. So in the new technology space, just realize they've survived 50 years without your product, right? So it better be pretty compelling why they need new technology. Because in their minds, new technology means not proven, right? Yeah. It means you're the guinea pig. They have a different way of viewing that. Yeah. We view, as a supplier, we view new technology as exciting and it's new and it's innovative and it's going to change your world. No, not necessarily. That's not how they look at it. You know, you get a lot of software companies, you know, making claims that, you know, for every minute we save in an OR, we're going to save you, you know, 50 to $120 and, and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. That's all great, but you got to have the substance behind it. You know, it's like, what are the three cliches that every supplier says? I'm going to reduce, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a better patient outcome and satisfaction. Um, I'm going to reduce your costs, right? And I got a better product, you know, for the end users or the nurses or something. They all kind of say the same thing. Fine. Put the meat behind it. Have it built in because here's what's going to happen. If it's that strong, then why are you not co-sharing with me on this? Why are we not having some type of stronger agreement on risk risk sharing, right? Right. We had a, we built... We have a client where we built the first ever uh, infection control. Well, it was based on caudian clapsy for uh, infection rates. And we believe that if you followed our protocol all the way through, we would get a reduction. If, if something happened adverse to the patient or they got an infection, then we would eat you know, the length of stay and et cetera, et cetera. We built wow. that program. Wow. It was amazing. It was the first one ever built on infection control. You that that's what that's what the end users want to see. That's what the providers want to see. If you're if you're if it's that good, well, have enough confidence to come kind of share on some of the risk with us, right? So it's sharing risk, but there's also what I'm hearing you say is that you have to have evidence, evidence of how it helps in several different categories of areas. Not just it can be the patient, it can be the the person has to apply the product. It can be the person has to supply the product or handle the product through the hospital. There's lots of places where your evidence has to support a product. Yeah. Those prospective outcome studies are needed. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We've covered a lot of ground here and I think we're running up against our time. We've covered the mistakes people make, you know, how companies should position themselves. Any other advice, anything else that you recommend um, for, for these listeners when it comes to corporate accounts, just to, to something to help them move forward make and be more successful. <laughs> I, I wish I had that magic sentence. Um, I would say call us. Uh-huh. 
it's case by case. It really is. We do a discovery call with all our clients or potential clients. So it's a discovery call. I'm more than glad to give candid feedback. I'll, I'll give you the secret sauce. I have no problem with that. You're just not going to be able to make it as good as us, right? right. It's like being a tie-in. It's like, my goodness, I can I could tell you exactly how to make Cacho Pepe right now. And guess what? You might even read a book or watch a video, but you're going to be missing something. And that's where we step in. Sure, so, sure. And it's a heavy lift to do it on your own. You need a team. And that's, you know, I see a lot of these early stage companies, they just don't have a large enough team. And I know it costs money, um, but you really need that because you're wearing way too many hats and you're chasing too many things. Well, I interviewed, um, I interviewed um, Will Gray, who's a senior VP of um, corporate accounts and marketing for Boston Scientific. He has 150 people working for him <laughs> to, to support his efforts to support the rest of the company in, in their corporate account success. 150 people. Wow. You know, of course, they're like, whatever, $5 billion company, but it just shows you how complicated this is and how you need, you really do need a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge that one person is not going to have if you, if you create your corporate account manager, so to speak. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, you'll get away with it where you'll get burned is when you start losing the GPOs, or you get blocked or you didn't get compliance. Yeah. You'll right. get away with it for, you know, a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, Frank, thanks so much for spending an hour with us and going through all this stuff. I think this has been a wealth of information. I hope uh, the listeners have paid close attention and I know I'll be taking lots of notes when I go back through the uh, editing process. I take all these notes so I can share more things with the listeners, but thank, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time today. Same here, Ted. Indeed. Thank you. Frank just provided lots of great insight and advice. First of all, don't treat corporate accounts like a second thought. Put a professional in charge of them and realize that one professional may need additional resources and help in the form of staff or consultants. If you are a small emerging growth company, start in your backyard create some success models that can be expanded into other parts of the country. And if you are a larger established company and claim better outcomes, offer to share the risk with your accounts to lock them in. Both situations can be complicated, so again, consider asking for help. Thanks for spending time with me and Frank today. Now go win your week. <laughs>